The following is still a pandemic recording presented to you in Around Sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Don't respect the sister, walk around like a woman is. She won't speak unless it's something worse saying. Don't play the girl, take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way, her hips way furiously. Yeah, the luxurious thing. Carries herself like the cutest, most prettiest thing you see this side of the bay. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, voluntary evacuations from Gilligan's Island, we cover it all. We are usually recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and Reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. All the clerks want to offer you help. All the folks compliment you stuff. A little children want to jump in your lap. Girl, I want to do that myself. Our guest this week is an author, political commentator, and an activist. He recently published the New York Times bestselling book, my Vanishing Country, a memoir. He's also the host of the Bakari Sellers podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where he discusses politics, race, sports, media, and more. And if you haven't guessed, please welcome to the pod, Bakari Sellers. What's up, Bakari? Thank you so much for having me. I hope you're doing well. I loved your introduction. And I don't know about <laughs> Oakland being the center of the known universe. Y'all haven't been to South Carolina yet, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Okay, we can talk about it all you want, but I think I'm going <laughs> to land in the same place that I started. But it's really good to have you on the pod. You know, Bakari, we are in the midst of a whole bunch of things, really. But now a resurgence of the Rona and her damn cousins, honey, the Delta variant. She out here and she fierce. So I got to ask you, what has your quarantine life been like? Have you developed any new habits live and direct from Miss Rona? So, you know, the interesting part about the quarantine is that for a lot of people, including I'm sure yourself and, and me as well, we would oftentimes say that if we had time to do X, Y, and Z, then we would do it. And so God was finally like, all right, let me just stop everything. And you have time now to work on yourself or improve your plight in life or do whatever you so choose. I think that, you know, my goal was to come out spiritually, mentally, and physically healthier and stronger than I went in, mm -hmm. write some new things, accomplish some new things. Uh, my anxiety is completely fucked because of Rona. Um, and if you don't have any anxiety coming out of this, then I don't know who you are. Um, but, I, but I also slowed down a, a good bit and just spent more time with, with family because, you know, I was doing 200,000 air miles a year and uh, the Rona put a, put a stop to that. And so, you know, it, it was, it, for all of the, I guess, the unhealthy virus that was circulating around us, it was a healthy atmosphere 
in our home. And, you know, my, my 16-year-old got Rona once, and she lost her taste and smell for about a month. Um, but we're all vaccinated now, and we all wear masks. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to do what we can to stay healthy when we walk out these doors. Did you say you had a 16-year-old? I have a 16-year-old stepdaughter, yeah. Oh, I was like, hold on, man. I'm like doing the... I'm over here going. No, I, I, it, it, I mean, it's possible. Going, Wait it's a possible. minute. I, you know, I was 20. <laughs> I would have been 20 and uh-huh. I would have been in my senior year of college. So it's possible. But, I, okay. <laughs> you know, down south, we say, but by the grace of God, but by the grace okay. of God. Uh, but I've been in her life since she was three. So we, we, uh, I'm, yeah, she has a great, uh, her, her dad is Vince Carter and He's an amazing father, and I'm a I'm a bonus dad, so she gets the best of all the worlds. That's what's up. So tell me, are there any new skills that Miss Rona has given you? I mean, I remember when this whole thing popped off, people were like baking bread and learning how to do their own manicures and quilting and all that kind of shit. So are you like planting gardens and baking bread? I mean, give us the scoop on what your pandemic skills are, just in case... We enter into the apocalypse. I got to know what you bring into the table. So if we go into the apocalypse, then I can tell you that the skill that I enhanced the most in the Rona and not saying I wasn't that before, but it's like times 50 is cleanliness. Come on. Like I used to wash my hands and just live life. But now I'm using hand sanitizer, washing my hands 20 times a day. You know, (laughs) I, I figured out that some hand sanitizers smell like uh, the 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 floors in uh, Cancun bars, uh, just <laughs> you know, you know when you walk, <laughs> you know when you walk into a bar in Mexico and you just be like, what is that? It's, it's like tequila and like ass. Bleach. You're like, what yeah. is that? <laughs> what is that smell? It's tequila, bleach, and throw up. Actually, <laughs> that's exactly exactly what that is. And so, you know, I've learned I've learned the hand sanitizers that work well to keep me moisturized. Uh, you know, we we are sticklers on taking our shoes off when you come in the house. We wipe cabinets down. So cleanliness is what I'm bringing to the rapture. But other than that, you know, I just and and it's a lot of us through my podcast. Like, uh, you know, when, before we started, I, I um, I'm interviewing Rick Ross coming up, but I'm reading Rick's new book, The Perfect okay. Day to Boss Up. I've just, you know, started reading more too, reading all types of stuff. It just makes you a more a more full person, I think. OK, I heard that. Which one was that? Stokely or Sadie? Stokely. Listen closely. Because so, the boy is the boy is funny. Because the boy the boy is he's interesting. You know the the girl uh-huh. is brilliant. She talks in complete sentences and all that other stuff. And the boy boys are a little bit slower than girls. And that that's interesting. we've been trying to tell you all this for a <laughs> yeah. long fucking time now. <laughs> Did, didn't know it. Didn't know it. You know, um, he does stuff like she's reading a book and he's like chewing on a shoe. And you're like, dude, what are you yep. like? Come on, that that is his life, right? <laughs> he's just taking his time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He'll get taking there. his time. <laughs> I don't know if people know this, but they should know this if they don't already, which is that you made history as the youngest ever elected state representative in South Carolina at 22 years old. And not only that, but you beat a 26-year incumbent. And at the time, that made you the youngest Black elected official in the nation. So I just had to say that because, you know, I believe in giving people (laughs) their propers and putting some respect on people's names. And also, right? Lots of life has happened since then for you. Yes, yes. So talk to me a little bit, Bakari, about what it means to be 
a prodigy in politics. But tell me, really, what have you learned about politics since you just got into it? Well, you know, I've seen different iterations of politics. And I guess, you know, you you framed it well, because I go back to 2006 when I started running in 2005. Most of the young people then, nobody really wanted to be Barack Obama. We all kind of wanted to be Deval Patrick, because Deval mm. at that time was a two-term black governor of Massachusetts, which was a rare bird, right? He was the highest ranking elected, black elected official in the in the country for, for most of us. I know Jim Clyburn was majority whip, but for those of us in state politics, he was. And so we came in during this time where the politics was far less divisive. And it's really interesting to see uh, that divisiveness kind of uh, emerge. I think it came around 2010 with the advent of um, the Tea Party. And then you saw the rise of another tall, skinny guy with a funny name named Barack Hussein Obama, who captured something that we'll probably never, ever see again. He wasn't even able to capture it again in 2012, but it was that level of excitement across the board. Uh, You saw the Tea Party come in in 2010, and then you saw what Van Jones called a whitewashing, which was an interesting way to describe it. But it was almost an overcorrection where you go from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. And oh, the I white think lash. That the white, the lash. white lash. Yep. White lash, yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that we've seen the most is politics has changed with the increasing prevalence of the 24-hour news cycle and social media. I remind folk all the time, when I got elected, all we really had was Facebook. I mean, mm-hmm. we, had, we didn't have Twitter and IG and all these other things. And so politics was vastly different. News was vastly different. And it's not like I got elected in a whole other generation. It was just 2006. But it's been cool. Um, I ran statewide in 2014, and, you know, we we got 43% of the vote in South Carolina, was able to chip away at the glass for people like um, Jamie Harrison and Mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum, who chipped away at the glass a little bit more to allow for people like um, Raphael Warnock. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just been an amazing experience to watch the landscape change as much as it has. Mm. Is there anything that you've changed your mind about since you started off in politics? I mean, you know how it is. When you're young, you can be, and I include myself in this, real staunch about your shit. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> so, can. Is there anything that you've changed your mind about since you started off in politics? Your ideas have to mature, to say the least, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there are some, I always, my core has always been the same. Like, I've always had these very simplistic and pardon me. Alicia, for them, for these views in this kind of compass being so simplistic, but I've always believed that people should have access to a first-class education um, and high-quality healthcare, and that's because mm-hmm. I come from a place that's extremely poor. I was mm-hmm. born in Denmark, South Carolina, where I grew up in a food desert where you can't go two miles and get access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Like my family, we would, we were the family that bought the pound of sugar and the you know Kool-Aid packets that stretched and last for a week and. Mm-hmm. Um, Went a lot of jobs in the area. We lost our hospital in 2010. It shut down. Um, everybody worked at the bomb plant, which is the Savannah River site. It was polluted around there. Mm-hmm. That's where I woke up, and that that kind of grew up, and that kind of gave me my moral, my political moral compass. Um, but there's some issues um, that I've come, you know, I, the death penalty is one, and my life it, it intersected with the death penalty in a weird way. One of my best friends. Well, not best friends, but one of my good friends and um, senator who I spent a lot of time with, even campaigned with him at my last event for lieutenant governor, was gunned down in a church by Dylan Roof, along with eight others. 
um, and Kate Baldwin before I was actually hired by CNN, but she interviewed me. And, and it was one of the toughest political interviews I've ever had because it questioned, it, it made me question where I stood on certain things. I'm now mm-hmm. adamantly anti-death penalty. Um, mm-hmm. at, at the time, I think I might have been, I don't know about pro-death penalty, but but allowing for it. Felt like there may be circumstances that were necessary under this really infantile belief that if somebody did that to my mother or daughter, then I would want them to have the death penalty, which isn't a really good reason to have a, <laughs> a political policy point. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grow, I see the way that I interact. And some of the things I did when I was younger, I found out I, it was it's reaffirmed that I, I hold true. For example, I'm friends with Tim Scott. You know, I'm friends with Nikki Haley. I'm friends with people who mm-hmm. people otherwise, you know, roll their eyes and say, how could you do that? Uh, the, the same I'm friends with Nina Turner like on the same scale like people are like Bakari you have the weirdest fucking friends on earth I know but that's mm. friendship <laughs> we have these relationships and I find that relationships are very valuable in politics and we shouldn't allow our politics necessarily to ruin those relationships and if you can push people further on the path for justice I think you should One thing that you would do differently from your career in politics, if given the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think about it all the time. There was one vote I made, which was terrible. And I voted to impeach Mark Sanford, the governor of South Carolina. Um, Mark Sanford used taxpayer dollars and went down and he said that he was on the Appalachian Trail, but he was in Argentina with his mistress. You remember that? Oh shit! Yes, I do remember this. Yeah. Yes, yes. So he, he can't. Yeah. Yes, Mark was a friend of mine. I remember TMZ called me and was like, "Do you know where the governor is?" And I was like, "Oh, I mean, why would you ask?" So I knew something was popping off when TMZ was calling. <laughs> TMZ calls, you know, it's about to hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny though because everybody was like, "There's a source. There's a source." Because this was you could still kind of you could still kind of walk in the airport, but it was 2000, and I guess. Eight and um, his wife actually tipped off the media to where he was and what it was. Yeah, it's crazy. Jenny, <laughs> shout out Jenny. This, this tea, this tea is hot. Yes, <laughs> yeah. honey. Yes, yes, yes. So, okay. uh, but nah, it came. It came <laughs> before us, and I and I voted. I was I was too emotional. I vote. He didn't get impeached, but I did vote to impeach him. I tell him to this day. I regret that vote. I, it's one I shouldn't have made. But mm. um, you know, other than Why? that, man, you. Because I just felt like it didn't rise to the level of impeachment. I felt like I was making a, a hyperpartisan decision. Like let's get rid of this Republican governor, mm-hmm. and and I it it wasn't it was unethical, no doubt, but it wasn't impeachable. I don't believe, and that that proved to be okay. true. He was he wasn't impeached, and and uh, he did you know he lost his seat. Well, he didn't lose his seat. He um, couldn't run for reelection. Nikki Haley became governor, so forth and so on. But that's my my little local. Um, with some tea story on the vote that I regret the most. Fair enough. Well, let me circle back to this because I struggle actually with this. um, What I think gets talked about as like trying to bring both sides of the aisle together, but sometimes can go way too fucking far in my opinion. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not of the school that believes that, that politics isn't personal. And so I got to ask you, Bakari, because you, you know, you have mentioned just now, you know, I'm friends with Nikki Haley. 
I'm friends with Tim Scott and I'm friends with Nina Turner. And I have like a wide spectrum of people who I'm close to. And people ask me a lot, how can you do that? So I'm going to ask you the same question. Given the kind of political context that we're in, how do you navigate these kind of tensions around not just your personal relationships, right? Because people, I believe that people who have bad policy direction um, can be good people. But can you walk us through, like, how do you navigate that dynamic? You know, I'll talk about the, I guess it's for us, for each individual to judge the character of that person. But, you know, I'll give you the best example. When my daughter was going through her liver transplant, um, you know, Nina Turner would reach out and check on me all the time. We agree on certain policy points. Um, Mm -hmm. The same way as when my daughter started her um, when we started a fund for my daughter, um, hey mama, we talking mm-hmm. about you. Say hey. Hey Sadie. Hey Sadie. Say hey Sadie. When hey, she Sadie. started, when she started a fund for in her name to do research, the first person to contribute to that fund because of our relationship was Nikki Haley. And yeah, I think mm-hmm. she's hypocritical on the issue of Afghanistan, but you know, I also saw Nikki Haley cry at nine different funerals and go to those nine different funerals. I saw her sum up the courage and people are going to say, well, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, she she was the one who took on the onus to take the Confederate flag down. Now, I'm not confused. It took the blood of nine people for it to come down, but it still took, you know, that political capital to do it. Um, And so, you know, I just think that I think that's oftentimes we people are nuanced. And, you know, I see people, for example, this week, Adam, Adam Kissinger, who was a, you know, people loved him two weeks ago because he was railing against Trump, but he just voted against the George Floyd voting rights bill. Right. And so mm-hmm. now people are throwing him back out again this week. And so I just think that people are more nuanced than we give them credit for oftentimes. And if you get to know people, I, I'm, I'm closer to Tim than I am to Nikki. I know where Tim came from. You know, my Tim and my father have long talks all the time. Um, Tim may run for president one day. I'd never vote for Tim. The way I describe Tim, Tim Scott is I'd never vote for Tim. But if he needed a kidney, I'd give him one. And I think that I don't find a problem with people's po- having those type of political views or opinions. In fact, I wish we got back there so that we because uh, a lot of people are driven emotionally by politics. And I think there are some things that that deserve that level of emotion. But I also think that when we lead with emotion, it allows the rhetoric and the temperature in the room to get to a point where things cross lines often. And I think we see that in our American politics today. Let's talk nuance. Um, I've been wanting to ask you this question. and I'm glad we're on the pod today. So you used to be a staffer for Rep. Clyburn, um, who is currently uh, the most powerful black legislator (laughs) in the country and who's been he's been in the news as of late a bunch for weighing in on the Ohio congressional race against Nina Turner and then more recently for weighing in on defund the police. And I'm just wanting to ask you as somebody who understands nuance but also could give us some insight here. How are we to understand this behavior? So some people can paint Clyburn as like the devil, right? Others can paint him as kind of the moderate center of gravity for a party that really does need more wins. So what say you? No, I just think that, you know, Jim Clyburn ain't the devil. He's the furthest thing from it. I think that he has 
um, in some cases, allow pragmatism to creep in when not necessary. And I think that I am a a, prog- a progressive pragmatist, but I do believe that there are things like when uh, he says that you can have a criminal justice bill without qualified immunity. I think that that's not true. I think that you can have a criminal justice bill, but you need to take George Floyd's name off of it if it doesn't include qualified immunity. And there's no reason that we should not be standing strong on, on that issue. Um, when you talk about defund the police as the cause for us losing races that we should have won, that's absolutely false. In fact, the the numbers don't bear it out. You know, people want to give congressmen the credit for Joe Biden winning South Carolina. Most of us in South Carolina giggle because we have a great deal of respect for the congressman, but know that Joe Biden was going to win South Carolina by 40 regardless. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jim Cleburne is also a hero. Um, he's a civil rights hero. He's also some, somebody who carries a lot of political capital and political heft. I think that, as I told Nina uh, back when, as she refers to him, Michael, but Killer Mike made those comments that were flippant and probably mm-hmm. inartful, although he had no intent, I don't believe, to... to disrespect the congressman like that, I think I told her that that was something she had to correct. And, you know, there is a certain generation of black super voter that will lay down on the tracks for Jim Clyburn. And I think that we you have to give that credit. He's his longevity, his leadership, his ability to work with with Nancy Pelosi and actually win votes. That's what they do. They go and they they win votes. They just this week, uh, as this episode comes out on Friday, we have a transportation bill and a three point five billion trillion dollar um, budget that is going to directly affect people of color. And that's because they did what they were supposed to do. They whipped up the votes. And so, yeah, it's nuanced. No doubt about it. Um, I disagree with him on policy, but I also give him the utmost respect. Um, I know from whence he's come. My favorite Clyburn was his wife. I think most people will tell you that, Miss Emily Clyburn. And she was, she is, she is one of the most magnificent and was one of the most magnificent women to ever emerge from South Carolina. And he has amazing daughters. I may run against one of his daughters one day in the future for his seat. Okay. Is what okay. it's looking like. But it's all but it's love though. And it's it's all rooted in love. It's just the difference of how we get to the point where we all want to be, which for me is freedom. There's a lot of discussion right now about splits inside the Democratic Party. And in particular, I think there is a struggle for power between progressives and moderates um, in the party. So I know that moderates right now are the present for the Democratic Party. But do you think moderates are the future of the party? Why or why not? Mm, I don't think progressives know how to win elections. And I think that uh, what you're seeing if we're going to carry these labels, our progressives routinely get their ass kicked specifically in the South. And the reason being is because they do not do a good enough job of wooing the voters that count, which is my mom and her friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a great deal of respect and admiration for AOC. AOC couldn't win a house race below Washington, D.C. And she couldn't win a race to the east of the Mississippi. Um, I think that you're you're seeing you asked me about growth. You're seeing AOC grow yep. in her role. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to be an influential member and get things done. And I also think that a large swath of the Democratic part uh, of Democratic voters actually like the Democratic Party. So when people say we're going to throw out everybody and we're going to do all of this and we're going to go, go in and blow it up, that's not the case. But on the flip side, I think that we're too old. I think that our, you know, our leadership, 
is Joe Biden, is Nancy Pelosi, is Jim Clyburn, is Chuck Schumer, is Elizabeth Warren, is Bill and Hillary Clinton. Uh, outside of Barack, Michelle, and Kamala Harris, everybody in that group is above the age of 68, right? Steny Hoyer, mm-hmm. et cetera. And, and white, and white. And Jim Clyburn is black. But I, I, but you know, but, you know I'm yeah, yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that a lot of times our ideas are stale, and our ideas are not big enough, and our ideas are not progressive enough. And there's no reason why we don't. For example, my biggest frustration with this administration right now is if you can end a 20-year war in Afghanistan, if you can rein in COVID, and if you can pass $4.5 trillion in relief for American people, all things that I admire, then you should also be able to pass justice issues that matter to people of color. You should be able to pass criminal justice reform. You should be able to pass voting rights. I don't know why people look at me like I have three heads when I say that this is what I expect. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week. Number one, Proud Boy of Color gets five months for burning the BLM flag. I mean, we put this on the list of things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do because it's just fucking bizarre from top to bottom. This week, Henry Enrique Terrio was sentenced to five months in jail after being convicted of destruction of property and possession of a large-capacity ammunition feeding device. So basically, this motherfucker burned a BLM flag that was hanging on one of the oldest black churches in D.C., and when this fool got caught, they found his dumbass with weapon magazines in his car. Now, here's what makes this motherfucker dumb as fuck. He ain't white. He really thought he was going to run around the nation's capital burning shit and carrying ammo? Dummy, only white people can do that. And I don't really care if you think you're white. The whites know who belongs to them and who don't. And you, my friend, do not belong. So make that news for any of y'all that feel like you want to start a men's group with white supremacist ideologies. If you ain't white, my G, the odds really are not in your favor. Other things Lady Ain't Gonna Do this week is the trial for R. Kelly. So this whole thing is so sad. We allowed this man to prey on young people for the better part of two decades and really did fucking nothing about it. This week, we learned how he got a 15-year-old Aaliyah pregnant, and that's why he arranged that marriage. We learned about a woman who was 17 years old pursuing a music career. She entered into a sexual relationship with him, and she said she will never forget how he humiliated and terrorized her. Of him, she said, he could put the fear of God in me. An ex-employee testified that he was responsible for giving R. Kelly's number to girls and women at his direction. Oh, and did we also mention that he had herpes and was giving it to these girls and not disclosing that he had a sexually transmitted disease? I mean, I hate to even discuss this man, but really we have to because it says so much about us that we continue to support him, look the other way, call it complicated, say we can separate the man from the music. No, the fuck we can't. We cannot separate this man and our response to him and his behavior from a larger social commentary about who we are as a society, that we have allowed this and we allowed it to continue for decades. And he's not alone. He just has a higher profile. Other things we ain't going to do this week, Buster Rhymes spits that misinformation Hate to break it to you, but rappers are not the leaders of black people. 
Now this week in You Don't Know What the Fuck You're Talking About, Busta Rhymes reportedly went on an anti-mask rant at a recent concert talking about masks block the natural energy and protect our civil liberties and so on and so forth. Now, I'll spare you the details because you can read all about it online, but it just goes to show you we really need to normalize not making rappers the leaders of black people. Everybody got the right to their own opinion, no matter how uninformed or dangerous. But when you have a platform the size of the one Busta has, we just need to remember that this, that bullshit that gets people killed Giving people false information about the work it takes to keep yourself alive is foul as fuck. Okay, I had to just do it. Now I'm moving through it. Okay, y'all. So here's what we want more of this week. The Good Trouble Rally that's happening on Saturday, August 28th from 12 to 4 p.m. All out and all aboard. Now this weekend, we are marching and rallying for voting rights in the nation's capital. There are multiple gatherings happening, and so you have no excuse. If you're in the area, come on and join up. Happening from 12 to 4 p.m. at the Lincoln Memorial and then some. As the Senate takes up this John Lewis voting rights bill, it's important to keep the pressure up, keep it long, and keep it strong. Now, the House has already done its work, and now it's time for the Senate to handle business. If you can't make it to D.C. on Saturday, make sure to call your senator and get it popping on that phone. Don't know who's who? Well, visit our Electoral Action Center at blackfutureslab.org. Other things on the Lady Loves list, island trips with the people you love. Now, Lady has to admit, the Rona got me fucked up, but she ain't stopping me from spending time with the people I love. This week, Lady got in some much-needed getaway time with loved ones, braved a hurricane that never was, and woke up to the sound of ocean waves. It wasn't exactly a vacation. I was still working, listening to that ocean, but it made work a little less stressful. I highly recommend it. Other things on Lady Loves this week, Aaliyah finally streaming. Well, at least some of it anyways. (laughs) Well, even though the news with R. Kelly is putting a bad taste in our mouths, to say the least, honey, one bit of respite in the storm has been that finally some of Aaliyah's music is streaming on all the platforms. And if you're like me, you've been transported back to another time and place. Now, you can't tell me nothing about Four Page Letter or Back in One Piece or Back and Forth or At Your Best. Now, to keep it real, not all her music is on the platforms. And it's a little bit of a tease, right? Because once you uncover one song, you'd be like, wait, what about that other one? But Lady predicts we'll get it all someday soon. And in the meantime, enjoy this gift in front of us while we wait for more. Can't believe it's been 20 years since she left this earth. Somebody said Aaliyah was the Beyonce of our day, and they ain't wrong. Don't at me. Sorry that we're running out of time, but I do want you to tell people how they can follow you and find you on the socials. And also tell us what's next for you. What are you up to? Sure. So uh, it's Bakari underscore sellers at Twitter and Bakari sellers on IG. But I hope people um, I have a new project coming out January 11th. It's called Who Are Your People? It's an amazing children's book. Reggie Brown. I got a a black illustrator. And, um, you know, I hope that I'm able to 
one day tell Alicia that I'm a New York Times bestselling author times two. Um, hey. This book, this book means a lot, and I'm excited about it. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on today, Kari. We appreciate you. No, shout out to everybody who's a part of your team. And shout out to Phil as well, who's the engineer for this. And you are dope and your family's dope and everybody in BLM and everything that you touch is dope. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you, family. All right, y'all. So that's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I will be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where there's a chance you might be commuting again. We appreciate you joining us. And please, let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We are also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. And let's give a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure that the people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterics. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, quit kicking that bullshit when it comes to masks and shit because really they're the only things keeping us alive for the time being. Don't look away from the R. Kelly trial because it tells us a lot about who we protect and why. Come out and make some of that good trouble John Lewis told us about. And while you're at it, making calls or marching in the nation's capital, bring some Aaliyah with you to help make everything just a little bit more bearable. That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no. She insists on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Little luxurious. Love y'all. Like the-